And we're back for the second part of our deep dive into the Louisville football program with good friend of the show, Keith Wynn, to talk a little bit more about the recruiting class and the success the Cards are having right now in the class of 2021, uh, as well as take a little bit of a, a look at the 2020 season. Obviously, expectations are sky high. So looking forward in, in terms of, you know, who could be the next, you know, big fit like a Henry Bryant or like a Dorian Jones, uh, you know, I mean, you just recently published, but no, uh, you you wrote an awesome, uh, you know, windbag wish list on offense. And so I, I wanted to ask you a couple questions about it. Now, obviously, there's a, there's a couple big, uh, you know, quarterback recruits that, that we keep hearing the same names over and over. Um and one of those is is uh, I, I'm not even you can say it because I don't want to mispronounce his first name because I I'm terrible with that so I I'm would sure, definitely I, butcher I'm, it. I'm going with Shadur. Okay. Shadur Sanders. I, I I don't know either to be honest with you, but I'm pretty either sure. It sounds right. Yeah. So uh, Sanders and, and I've heard Chaden Perry. That's another one. Um, so I mean what. Are all the guys we're, we're in on, like you're talking about, like they're in on some really, really great quarterbacks. They're in on some really, really elite position guys. So it, what do you see as like the, the trend from all three? You know, like are they each a little bit more unique than you would have thought? Or do they all kind of fit uh, a similar mold like what you were talking about with Satterfield uh, and what he envisions in a quarterback? So, so a quarterback especially, I think it's a mold. I think they have a specific type of guy. And it's, it's really interesting because – what we saw from Mikael Cunningham at the end of the season, that's it. Like, that's the, you know, put him on, that's a statue. That's exactly what <laughs> want, is, hey, let's, we just need this guy over and over and over again. Um, it's a guy who obviously can make the throws, can throw the ball down the field, and can, is athletic enough to extend plays. They're not looking for necessarily Lamar Jackson, hey, we can add these running plays to the offense, which they were able to do with Mikael because he is that kind of athlete. They want a guy that, hey, kind of like we saw with Evan Conley with, you know, a little bit of deception. They can make a, they can have some running plays with him. But really it's, hey, can he get away from pressure, extend the play, or maybe pick up five yards if need be? Um, and I think Shadur Sanders is exactly that. Um, I, I really like his game. I like his it's, – it's funny because you see these guys who are obviously privileged. He's got a dad who is a Hall of Famer. He has access to this and the other. He has a flair about himself. Which you know, I don't, I don't really mind. I mean, if you know you're good, you're good. Um, yeah. But I think you know, you you, you really kind of get into the research on him. He works hard. He does a lot of off-season stuff. He has the quarterback coaches that help him improve. I, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think when you look at the the top quarterbacks, they always do the extra work. I think it's it's I think it's understandable that people might be a little bit leery though, because you know he's kind of got the flair and whatnot, but. I like him a lot. I think he's a little. I think he's a little bit more consistent than Chaden Peary, uh, but I, I think Peary is a little bit underrated. I watched him play. He's a much better runner than I thought, and he's got a bigger arm than I thought. So yeah, uh, I watched his film. Holy crap, that kid's got a cannon. Yeah, uh, and I think I think they're both very good. Um, I think they'd be good fits because they don't need a guy that's going to come in and play right away, unless even if Mikael Cunningham were to leave early, they still have options there. So. Um, you don't need necessarily a guy that's going to come in and light the world on fire. You need a guy that fits what you do. And I think both of those guys fit from an athletic standpoint and from an arm talent standpoint. Uh, and they're, I think they're in good shape there, uh, just like they are with a couple different position groups. Who's the guy outside of quarterback that, that you want to most see offensively uh, in the recruiting class? 
Oh, Mario Huggins, Bruce. Yeah, which I thought was going to be the answer. Yeah, he's he's so he like like it's like one, and everybody else is like way down here. I mean, you have I, definitely become the the leader of the fan club on that one. Oh, I see that. Yeah, and a couple crazy. weeks ago, I'm like. Then that guy played for Clemson because the name, I don't know why I thought that. But then I started looking into it. I'm like, okay, all right, this is the guy. This is the so, guy right here. So we talked, so you talk about um, building on recruiting based off of what recruits will see on the field for you. So a big issue under Petrino, in my opinion, was they had guys that became stars and they were never able to capitalize on that with their recruiting. Whether you go back to James Sample and Gerard Holloman, who were really good safeties, both went in the NFL draft. Holloman won the Thorpe, led the nation in interceptions. They didn't pull in elite safeties or even extremely good safeties based off of that. Partially probably because those coaches were gone and whatever well, maybe. The crazy thing about that, I actually just wrote about this a couple weeks ago before Ben Perry committed, was if you look at the safeties before that, it was Calvin Pryor and Hakeem Smith who were – better and right. they you know you talk about holloman and sample were both only here for what one year yeah. like they had four straight years of two safeties that played at an nfl level and then they followed up with josh josh harvey clemens who was a transfer and after that it just fell apart yeah and and that's that was a big issue under patrino they weren't able to build off of that i think that you look at amari huggins bruce and there's it seems like he's trending on rivals to to commit to louisville uh, 247, you haven't seen that yet. People are still sticking with their, their Virginia Tech pick so far. But that is what we should be seeing from this coaching staff. You get a guy like Tutu Atwell who lights the road on fire, there should be another guy behind him that says, hey, I want to go do that too. And that's what Amari Huggins-Bruce, that's the potential there is that, hey, once Tutu leaves, you have another guy that fits that fits. I mean, you know, I'm going to say fit into my, my, you know, until I like pass <laughs> You sound out. like Scott Satterfield with the word culture. Like you just it, can't stop saying Right. But, but I mean, you, you can really look at it as simply just that you just plug another guy in who has the same athletic profile. Huggins Bruce is a little bit taller, but he's a thin guy, real thin, but he can make people miss. And that's one thing that I like. That's one thing that we haven't really seen from Tutu Atwell. He can run past everyone. Well, Huggins-Bruce has that shiftiness in the open field, makes guys miss, anticipates tacklers well. Uh, you see all that, and that's more of a Rondell Moore kind of guy where, you know, more of an open field space player. So, you know, you, you there's a potential there to get a guy that, all right, we can plug another guy in. They have Jordan Watkins, who is a speed guy that I think can play the slot like 2-2 and can outrun people. Now you're building on what you what people see on the field. I see, you see that at quarterback, too. Uh, you, you look at the the interviews that Shadur Sanders has, has has done. He talks about how much he likes how Frank Ponce does things and how he coaches. That's building on what what you already have. Um, and I think that's I think you, you there's a potential to get a really explosive receiver there. Uh, the kid is electric. I mean, it's unbelievable. So I think it's very underrated. Uh, I'm kind of surprised he's not, you know, blowing up more and getting bigger and bigger offers. But I'll take it. I mean, you know, I think he's a really great player. And you could make the argument, Alex, you tell me what you think here, but you can make the argument that Louisville is going to be a big winner of this this pandemic recruiting because I'm curious how many of these guys that they're going to get in the fold, if they went to the traditional camps and went through everything, how many they'd lose because they just blow up. Oh, yeah. You talk about Higgins being exact, exactly that, a guy who they'd be in a matter of a few weeks, you could see you know LSU, Georgia, Alabama start getting involved for players yep. like that after they dominated camps and they have them come in. Louisville lost a ton of guys, it felt like, last year. I shouldn't say a ton, but several 
Uh, and Alex, what do you think? I mean, they're they're getting guys who aren't going to be able to get the normal, you know, recruitment level and publicity that they would get with these camps. Like, don't you see where Louisville could kind of sneak in and steal some players in this year alone that they probably shouldn't have in any other year? I think the big viewpoint when when all this started to go down was that this was going to hurt Satterfield and them and a lot more than other programs because, you know, I think that's around the same time they started maybe like uh, one or two guys they were they were in on, like, you know, picked another school. And so they were like, oh, oh, oh my gosh, like this virtual recruiting, we're not that good at it. Obviously, it's not working in the first couple of weeks. Well, I think everyone, to your point, just kind of missed the mark of, I think this helps us tremendously uh, from the aspect that others – other programs are also having to deal with this right now. So you have kids that are not able to travel and, and see these other camps, see these other schools, um, and the fact that we're not doing a bad job even with the virtual stuff. I mean, uh, you know, I think the staff has been more plugged in um, than any staff we've ever seen besides, you know, the new basketball staff. But I would even say they've gone a step further because I, I follow a lot of that the football coaching staff. Those guys are on – I mean, every platform you could think of on a daily basis, like through mm-hmm. uh, Twitter, interacting with each other, like through videos, challenges, whatever it may be, um, you know, they're they're clearly showing the bond even virtually. And I think that's speaking to a lot of the recruits that are starting to pick up on that. Uh, but just to, to wrap up my point, right now, on two four, according to 247, we have, let's see, one, two, three, four... Five of the of the seven commits uh, so far in 2021 are uh, a top 30 player at their position. Is 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 what it's showing. So oh, I mean, no. I, nice. I mean, at, how about that for a stat? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, and, and so, the thing about it is, when you look at recruiting rankings, sometimes the the position rankings kind of get lost because you don't you don't really think about it. Like if you're if you're a when it comes to basketball. That gets that gets noticed a lot, you know. Hey, you got a top five point guard. He might not be a five star, but hey, he's one of the top five in the country. That you see that more in basketball, but it gets lost in football because really everyone looks at it because there's so many players. It's really hard to kind of kind of break down. But I mean, yeah, I think that uh, what uh, Ben Perry's what number twenty nine, I think, and and Braylon Oliver's number twenty eight. Um, I think it's safety right now, and you know, I think that you know, you look at some of these guys that are getting, you know, in in I think there's a potential to kind of go back to your point that if these guys were going to go to camps, they were going to blow up, whether or not just be the guys in the, in the class, but some of the targets, I think Jerry Williams, who's out there in, out there in Seattle, you know, I think there's obviously a connection with his dad being, you know, T will and playing here. I think he's a guy that if he had the camp circuit this summer, I think he was going to blow up into a huge prospect because the, one of the big things you're looking at now is like teams are looking for, these guys that can that are kind of uh, non-positional, where you just bring them in and hey, we'll figure out where we're going to play them when they get here, um, and I, you know more in the mode of maybe like an Isaiah Simmons or Derwin James, where if you can get these big jumbo athletes who are also athletic, you're going to try to develop them, and you'll just figure out where you're going to play them when they get here. And I think Dre Williams is that kind of guy. And he's a guy I'm really excited to, to hopefully. Hopefully he's going to pull the trigger here soon and, and join the class uh, like everyone's kind of predicting. But he's a guy that, I mean, they can probably put him at four or five different positions. They'll just figure it out as he grows and gets bigger and, and where they maybe need him. And I, I, I think that's a good thing. I think you're seeing that. Ben Perry's another guy. He's going to grow, and they're going to put him an outside linebacker, that card spot. He's going to be a guy that's up in that 220 area. 
and still be able to keep that athleticism, keep that speed. Now you've got what they're looking for in a sense of maybe a Rajay Burns, who's all, who's also three inches taller and 20 pounds heavier. That's yeah. what they need. You need more size, but you want to keep that athleticism on the defense. Well, and Keith, one thing we talked about a long time ago that you kind of brought my attention to, um, you know, when, when everybody, because every year it happens, it's hilarious that, you know, you look at these class rankings when it comes to recruiting, and it's all dependent upon, you know, one, how many guys you even take or need. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you've always stressed the fact that you've based it off of uh, the actual, you know, rating per player, yeah. like the average rating. What is the average rating? Because that kind of shows you the talent level right there. Not not the overall class rating as a team, but but what are the individuals? And and just to point out, um, last year, I think in Louisville's class we had three guys. One, two, three. Yeah, three guys that were, um, you know, an eighty-seven. Uh, two guys that were an eighty-seven. One guy that's an eighty-eight in the entire class. Mm-hmm. This year, out of seven commits, we already have three guys that are 87 yeah. um, and, and one of them almost an 88 who's probably going to keep going up. So, I mean, some of these guys are probably still going to get a bump, but just in the first seven guys of this new class, we're already seeing the heightened sense of, uh, of ratings. If, if you even want to base it off that. So there's a lot of different yeah. ways that you can say things look encouraging um, from a lot of different angles. Yeah. And I mean, those ratings matter. I'm, I'm you know, it's, it, if you really get into it, it's kind of nitpicky. Some guys are, a few points higher than another guy, whatever it may be. But I think that, you know, it's a good way to really judge it. You know, when it comes down to it, the top programs in the country have the best players. They're rated right. the best. You can't get away from that. So, it's, But it's, it's also, yeah, it, it makes it easier to look at the numerical trend year, year right. over year of yeah. the class and, as well. And I think off the top of my head, I think, what, four or five of those guys would have been in the top half of last year's class. And that's yeah. where they're starting. That's their base. Right. Um, and, the, you know, there's the potential. They still need to get those guys – like the Corey Connors of the world, like the Travion Fords of the world, but at the same time, if you're, if the bottom of your class or the bottom middle of your class is around where they are now, that's where they need to be, and I think that they have a possibility of getting there. There's still plenty of guys that they're in on that are four stars or will be four stars, and that's another thing that kind of 247 and Rivals are the main two sites. ESPN is kind of the Redheaded stepchild out there doing their own thing, playing. We do it too, guys. Pirates. Don't worry. They're the guys playing with the, the dandelions out in right field or whatever. But <laughs> you know, it's part of their composite rankings. Two four sevens going ahead and actually re-rank their guys. They're doing evaluations based off of film. There's you know, Bud Elliott joined over there. He's an unbelievable college football mind, in my opinion. Does a lot of good stuff. He's the guy that came up with the um, the blue chip ratio, uh, which is just amazing. I mean, I, I love the way the guy thinks. Well, he joined 247, and they decided to kind of re-rank their class. Well, Rivals has decided not to do that. They've re-ranked some guys, but if you're talking about guys down in the deep south, they've just not even done anything with those guys. So you might look at some of these guys they're getting, and those rankings are going to change. And you might see a guy like Braylon Oliver who has these great offers, but his ranking hasn't really changed since he picked up some of those offers. That might change down the road. He might be a four-star guy that they get in this class. So – there's, there's just so much to go. And like I said, you know, we were talking before we got on. It's so early. It just it doesn't seem like it because everything's off. You know, everything's kind of crazy now. But it's it's May. I mean, it's it's way – we're way ahead of everything right now. Uh, things are going to change a lot when it comes to the rankings and the ratings. But one thing that doesn't change is you can't – the film's going to be the same. 
and you see these offers, especially these legit offers. Uh, a lot of kids get offers that are just, hey, it's an offer, but that staff still sees something in that player. And if you've got kids that got, have these great offers and their film shows it, that, that's, that to me is that's kind of where I'm looking when it comes to evaluating these kids and how good they're going to be in the class. Uh, and I like them. I like them all. I mean, uh, you know, you look even even a Vic Mullen, who doesn't have a lot of film. He's out there playing against kids that are way smaller than him. You see the traits. He has great hands. He can go up and catch the ball in the air. He can track the football. And then as a blocker, he definitely shows the skills. So, I mean, it's just it's it's they're they're identifying guys that they really like, which I think that was a big thing last year. And you know, you see some of the recruiting guys are kind of trying to make fun of the staff that oh they like these guys. This is like they're getting these guys on campus last year, seeing them in person and saying, hey, we want you uh, right now that I can't get them in, in front of them. But I think they're using a the virtual business really well. Um, they're getting to know these kids. They're trying to vet them as best as possible. And I think the guys are getting they to me, they look good. I mean, that, that's all I can really say about it from my standpoint, I guess. Yeah. And I mean, that's a good point because I don't really see any sort of like out of left field head scratcher uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, from these seven so far because like every everyone you've said either if they're not a top 30 kid they definitely fit what they're what they're looking for so yeah. i mean it, they're definitely on the right path in, in my mind and yeah i've been doing a lot of research with this with these posts i'm doing and watching yeah. way too much auto video um but I, that's the thing even the guys are targeting not even the guys they've gotten yet i still haven't seen those guys that, that just seem like a complete reach like, hey, you know, like, I'm just not seeing, like, this guy definitely doesn't have the speed or, you know, he can't chase down plays or, hey, he doesn't really play the ball in the air. You see it, every guy fits. And I think that's the thing. Like like I said, they're, they're giving out a lot more offers than I expected them to give out. But most of the guys they're missing on are, are the guys at the top level. They're, they're going after the top guys. And to go back to a point earlier, even when they're missing on guys, they're not, they're not missing on too many guys that, that are going to questionable schools, you know, the ones that are staying home, uh, you know, but the guys are going after they're they have the big offers. And when you're going against the big guys, you're going to miss on some of those guys, which is, I think that's what we, we want as a fan base is for this staff to target the top guys and really go after them. Cause you're going to hit, if you hit on three of those guys, that's, that's great. I mean, that's unbelievable. If you're, if you're looking at 40 guys that are top players in the country, you hit on three of those guys and you beat out these top programs for them. I mean, that, that's, that's something that we haven't really seen. So I think that's a, that's a positive. It just leads to a lot of, uh, it leads to some frustration, you know, where you miss on a guy. And but like I said, I mean, you miss on a guy like Corey Kiner at LSU. And I don't, I mean, I, I was just like, wow, you know, but at the same time, at least you're losing out to a team that just came off a national championship as opposed to, you know, some ran like Pitt or something like that, you know? Yeah, those yeah. recruiting losses definitely don't hurt as bad as in basketball when Louisville loses to a Duke or a Kentucky or an Arizona because you feel like you're kind of, you know, you're lucky to be playing with the you're lucky to be playing with the big boys at that point. Like that yeah. a Louisville player, a Louisville recruited player would be, you know, somebody that LSU is coming after. You kind of take pride in that because it's just not very often. Louisville finds himself in a very different position football recruiting than they do basketball. Let's let's talk a little bit about 2020. We don't have a ton of time left. We're going to have to devote a whole other podcast to the, the 2020 year. And I do want to get into some mailbag questions. So I don't want to I don't want to spend too much time here. But in your opinion, if you can pinpoint one position in 2020 that you think you're going to see the most growth and the most elevation, what position is it? Offense or defense? It doesn't matter. What's the one position? Ooh, defensive line. 
And why I, is that? Like, talk a little bit about that. That's my, uh, I don't know if it's a hot take or what, but like I think that that's the spot that they struggled really badly last year. They lost guys there from last year, but I think they'll be better. Um, I think they're a little bit deeper. You're bringing in guys like Jadarian Boykin. You're bringing in guys like Yaya Dabi. Uh, two guys I think can can play early, um, and I like the I like the young guys they got. I mean, not just um, Henry Bryan in the middle. I think Jared Dawson can come in and play. Uh, he's got he's got the pedigree in my my opinion. I like watching him play. I feel like he can get on the field early. Um, and and defensive line, what we're going to see more than anything is that rotation. It's not necessarily just the, for the top three guys that are playing. They need guys that are two and three deep to come in and be able to contribute. Um, I think that uh, another guy, Zach Edwards, uh, they, they saved his red shirt last year. The little bit that he played, you know, you go back and watch him. I think it was a Virginia game that he played uh, a handful of snaps. He had two back-to-back plays where he made the play. And to me, that was just, just that little bit that he showed. If you can build on that, I think, and I think they will, uh, that's a guy that I think could come in and make some plays. And I think they have more guys, and that's what they need. They had plenty of talent at the top level last year. They need more guys to be able to come in, and when those guys aren't on the field, we're not. We're, they're still going to be okay. And they weren't. That's what they didn't have last year. So I think they're going to really improve there. Yeah, it's funny when you when we look at the couple of questions that we got uh, in terms of trying to solicit, you know, people trying to get your expertise here. They're all defensive questions. Like literally, yeah. everyone wants to know about one position. And it's the defensive line because. I would make the argument. You could tell me I'm wrong. You know a lot more than I do. But I thought defensive line was the worst group out of all of them last year. Right. Uh, and I thought that we'd see a little bit more because they just had so many guys. I, I think that maybe I fell into the trap of every player Louisville gets is a good player and they're going to develop into being a good player. And you look That's at a guy good. like, you know, I, I don't want to call out any names of somebody who underperformed, but like I expected Malik Clark to get a little bit more run. Thurman Gaithers, like some of these guys who we were super excited about three years ago. And you didn't see it, but this year, you talk about who they add, you talk about Boykin, you talk about Jared Goldwire is kind of addition by subtraction, in my opinion. Like, I think he's going to elevate that position to be the next big one for Louisville. So so here's the thing that I think that we, we've kind of missed out on, and we probably don't talk about enough, and it's just it's coaching and development. And I think that there's no position group from the previous staff that was worse off from a coaching standpoint than the defensive line. They just did not have adequate coaching. And, and it's so funny. He was the only qualified coach that you could point at and say, yeah. okay, it makes like, sense that he would yeah. be there. Exactly. <laughs> but they, they didn't recruit well there. And on top of that, they also didn't develop well there. I think we're going to see that. I think Malik Clark is a guy they've got up to 290 pounds. They're talking about playing him inside. Now you have Jerry Gowire and Malik Clark. Maybe Malik Clark takes that next step as a, as a defensive lineman. You have Yaya Diaby coming in. They need pass rushers. They didn't have that last year. Now you have a, a guy who who's better at that. Jadarian Boykin also. Maybe they have that better. That's a better part because now they can change guys out for situational things better than they were last year. Let's be honest. Gigi Robinson was a good player for Louisville. He should not be a third round, third down pass rusher at the end spot. And that's what they had to do with him is move him from nose to end and have Jared Goldwire, who also isn't necessarily a pass rusher, when they had their pass rush, their, their dime package in, that was the, that was what they went to to rush the passer. You've got to have more options, and I think they're going to have that. And now you have coaches that can really work with that, and and then it becomes development. And it might not be this year, but I think going forward, they're in good shape to get better there. I definitely think Gigi got a bad 
rep by by Fairweather fans from the fact that just looking at at the defense and how much you know how many points they allowed. Uh, mm-hmm. But but to your point, Gigi did phenomenally. It was just. Like well, we said, like, well, like the lack of depth. I mean, it just wore down. You know, yeah, like you can't. And when you, you go, when you look at that, and you go and you look through a whole season, you have Gigi Robinson playing three downs over and over and over. That that's not normal. You you don't want your nose tackle playing all three downs. You want on third down for him to come off the field because you're in a pass situation and you've got the the lighter, faster guys in there. Well, he was the best option they had, and he and he did the best he can do. Right. But over over time, yeah, he's going to wear down, and that's you, you got to take all that into account. And now that they have more options, they should be able to rotate guys, do a little bit better with that, play different guys on third down, and and maybe they get better there. And I, I think they will personally. All right. So this next question, it's a two-parted question. Uh, first, what is Mikael Cunningham's ceiling for 2020, and should we be disappointed if Louisville goes eight and five or nine and four? You can start with with McKellen. Um, you know, I, it's weird, man. I, 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 another thing I'll just openly admit, I just didn't see it with Mikhail Cunningham. I thought, I thought that he was a runner. I didn't really think that he would ever develop it as a passer. Um, I'll even say halfway through the season, I was like, I just don't, I don't think he'll get over these natural instincts to run with the football as opposed to standing in the pocket. And sometimes he kind of keyed in on two, two, too much. Uh, honestly, as a ceiling, I think he could be. I think he'd be a guy that has another really good year. Potentially leave early for the draft. You know, he's he's going to be a redshirt junior. Um, you know, he's got the deep ball down. the The big things with Mikael Cunningham to me is, can he make those consistent throws in the intermediate level? Um, he got a little wild on some of those, but if he can fix those things and become more consistent. I mean, I think he's a guy that can go in the draft. I mean, I, you know, he's got – he's plenty – you know, people talk about size. I mean, he's 6'1". That's plenty of height. I mean, it's not like you have to be 6'4 anymore. Right. Uh, and, he, and that athleticism, I think, will help him. So, I mean, I, I think he's going to – he's the guy that if, if I'm a Louisville fan, I mean, you got to be excited for the potential of where he can go after what we saw him do in the bowl game and even the games before that. He, he started to grow. I mean, just every single week he got better. Um, so I think he can be a lot. I think he could really become a star. Um, as for the the record, I don't think so. I mean, if they win seven games at the after a bowl game, I can say, hey, maybe a little bit of disappointment. But I think people really need to kind of go back to where they were before the season started last year. Um, I mean, you know, Bill Connolly, he, he's an ESPN guy now. He used to be with SB Nation. He talked about how people need to look at year zero for new coaching hires. And I thought that was really cool because there are plenty of programs. You take over that program, the first year doesn't count. You just got to throw it out, you know. And honestly, if we're being realistic, don't throw it was, out. It was last year was year zero. I mean, it it's turned funny, out though. so much better, but it was it was year zero. That should not have happened. It's right. so funny you say that because last year, I think it. I don't know who it was. It might have been Bill Connolly, but somebody wrote an article ranking all the new coaches and labeling labeling them in tiers. And somebody and he put Scott Satterfield in the Z, in the year zero. And I took it off, like as an offense. Like I mean, Louisville's got talent. They have pieces. They just need a coach who actually cares. Yeah, but I, I think that win. one thing that kind of got lost is how bad that roster was from a from a number standpoint and. In a normal situation, you're going to lose one or two guys to injury, and they they also they had really good injury luck. I mean, Jawan Pass went down for the season. 
But that was about it. I mean, they were really healthy outside of that. Rush East went down late. Makai missed a, what, a game and a half. But realistically, they were in a position where if you lost two guys, if you lost a 2-2 Atwell to an ankle injury, or you lost a Dez, or you lost a, a guy, a Makai lost for the season, it just doesn't, it's not the same. So I, I think that was kind of part of it. But at the same time, I think that's, I think it was fair. Well, what they took over, um, you kind of look at that as year zero. So I think this next coming year, I expect them eight, eight loss, eight wins is kind of the, the floor for me. I think that's as low as they'll get. But if they go out and they lose four games to Clemson, Notre Dame, Virginia Tech, and somebody yeah. random in there, or Virginia maybe, I don't think that's a bad year. I think that's something that, um, they can build off of. I mean, I, yeah. I think that's, that would be great. I, I would I would take that. That's to me that that eight to nine wins is where they've been in the ACC. They still haven't won ten games yet, so it's kind of hard to be disappointed if they don't win ten games. I mean, you're you're still around where they've been, right? And and the fact that you know we won games last year, obviously that we shouldn't have. I mean, we went into nineteenth ranked Wake Forest, yeah. you know, and. and Won it with, uh, you know, white boy Conley sprinting down uh, 40 yards for the for the TD, which, by the way, I still think, you know, me and Jacob talked about it. it what a moment for him. And, and like, you're gonna, that's one of those you remember the rest of your life. But also, in terms of clock management, that would <laughs> if he would if he would have <laughs> slid around like the 10 or the five and like we could have totally taken a knee and that would have been no pressure or nerves. Yeah. Um, but no. I think the fact that you you saw how many 50-50 games we were in last year, and we we came out on top. Um, Even when, you know, I didn't think personally, uh, you know, there was a couple games I was like, I wasn't expecting us to win, that we actually did. Uh, So I think if we just carry that momentum. Now, some people were like, oh, they could have gone either way, so you can't count that sometimes for next season. But a win's a win in my book. So like you said, year zero was so much of an overachievement. I just hope, you know, Louisville fans can just – at least pull back the reins a little bit, be a little realistic for year two, you know, because when you see ESPN, uh, you know, the, the, the leader of sports say we could go 10 and two, you know, I just, I think I like the confidence, but at the same time, I just want to pull back the reins a little bit. Yeah. It's like analytical fact that you can be like, look at that. It's the stats, the stats. And Satterfield's so easy to like. So a little bit of devil's advocate is that, one thing, they have so much coming back on offense, and then you have these quotes from Dwayne Leffert saying that, hey, we were vanilla. I can understand that, hey, people expect that to go go further. And, you know, one thing I, I said, you know, I talked to, I think I was on the podcast with Mike months ago, and I told him, I said, I don't think it's crazy if someone said that they expect 10 wins. Because you look at the schedule and you can see it. And I don't think that's out of the question, but at the same time, I think that's the, hey, if they get there, super happy with the way the season went. But I think if they go, they get to eight wins, nine wins, and they're not having, and they don't have bad losses in there. I think that's, I think that's good for year two. And I think going into year three, you have the potential to really grow on that. And now the expectations to start growing. Yeah, and I'm gonna say this right now. I'm gonna predict this. I'm getting ready to write this in the next couple of days. But I, if we're talking bold prediction, things that pay, they may potentially come true, but it's kind of outlandish to make the argument. My prediction is Louisville has a chance to win 11 games because I think that Louisville – Scott Satterfield, one of the things I admired about him is when he sees an opponent for a second time after he loses, the first time his record is really good. Yeah. Uh, of, recover, of recovering from a team that he saw, watched the film, understood, okay, here's what they did. we got to stop it next year. 
I thought they played if, – if Mikhail Cunningham would have been in at quarterback and he was the guy we saw throughout the season, they could have beat Notre Dame last year because in the first half of that game, they really shot themselves in the foot with some bad turnovers, some bad defensive tackling. This year, Notre Dame loses a lot. They, they bring back a lot, and they're kind of like an SEC team where they got dudes everywhere and you just know the next guy's up. But I, I don't put it past Scott Satterfield to be able to go in and win that football game. I really don't, especially if we're talking about a season with no fans in the building. And you go up there, that that you know that place becomes a little bit different without you know packed full of fans. Uh, I think it's not outlandish to think eleven so, could be that, but there's going to be a slip up somewhere else. Like we know, we know as Louisville fans, eleven yeah. wins doesn't doesn't come or ten wins, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I should say ten wins. Well, I, I need to do math. I'm not very good, but I, Clemson <laughs> is the. I think it would be they play twelve games. Clemson would be the one. So yeah, I, you could talk about losing I just to Clemson. It. So, yeah. I mean, that's – I mean, I, I don't do predictions and all, but I've been saying it for the last couple of months. I think they beat Notre Dame. Uh, I think they – and I, I 100% agree. They would have beat Notre Dame if they played Notre Dame later in the season this past year. Um, but you're right. Notre Dame loses a, a lot of talent on defense. They're losing skill position guys on offense. And as well as they recruit, they're very position-specific. They get a lot of really good tight ends, a lot of good offensive linemen, good quarterbacks. They haven't really done well on the defensive side of the ball, recruiting-wise. So you're replacing guys with not necessarily those five-star talented guys at the top of their class. They're replacing them with some lower-level guys. And they have a couple guys uh, that are really talented on defense. But if I'm taking Louisville's offense against Notre Dame's defense, give me Louisville all day. Uh, And if if it's a shootout, I think Louisville showed last year that they can keep scoring against anybody. Yeah, and I, Alex, I've told you, not to cut you off here, but I've told you several times, point me the team on next year's schedule that's not Clemson that can outscore Louisville. That's the thing that I'm going to say going into the season. Point me and show me another offense who can point for point, play for play, outscore Louisville. It's very few. It's very few. Well, and, and the only one you could think of besides Clemson was going to be, you know, like a Wake Forest from last year. And we, I mean, we even showed from from last year's, you know, team with, with that first-year defense of Brian Brown and first-year offense – uh, of Satterfield, I mean, they still just did a shootout and still yeah. won it. So, I mean, they've already proven the concept that they can win a shootout, and it's only going to get that much better in year two. But my other point is going to be we're also playing Clemson at a very uh, opportunistic time, and and I think that's a, you know, that yes, it's still Clemson, and you know they're knocking, they're literally like asking other five stars to to decommit for, to bring in better five stars, <laughs> and you know, like I, I wish I had that issue sometimes, but. Uh, I mean, but it's, the fact that it's 100% true. I mean, that's, that's what's so ridiculous is that they're like, oh, you know, uh, what is it? Uh, uh, the flow kid from Mountain California. They're like, yeah, we don't really have room for you. So uh, you might just want to find another school. And he's like, all right, I guess I'm going to Oregon. And it's like, <laughs> dude, like the top linebacker in the country, are like, yeah, we don't have room for you. Like, imagine being the coach that had to make that call and like do it with a straight face. That's insane. But I mean, that's just, that's at the level there are right now. But, but oh. I do, I, like, you're right, though. They have every all these teams have pieces. They have to plug new guys in. They have to change things around. Louisville doesn't have that issue, in my opinion, on both sides of the ball. The guys they lost on defense, they should be perfectly fine putting another guy in there. They have experience. Even right. at, you know, Kane Pass is probably the one guy that when they plug another guy in there, it's going to be a guy with less experience. But at defensive line, yeah, they're they're going to have some younger guys in there. But Tavares Pearson's back. Dana Kennard's back. Those guys played. They started games last year. So well, yeah. you have you have less of a concern of, hey, we're taking a stud player and we got to find a guy to replace him. 
a lot of these teams on the schedule, they have to, they have, that's what they're doing. And Louisville just doesn't really have that. Yeah. And I would make the argument, and I've said this a couple of weeks ago, talking with Presley, who wrote about it for our site, was when you look at Clemson, I would say that outside of North Carolina, and it was only for a half, but Louisville played them better than anybody on their schedule in the regular season. Louisville left 21 points on the field against Clemson in the first yeah. half. Tutu yeah. Atwell dropped two touchdown passes in the first mm-hmm. down, where, or in the first half. Where Alex, I think you and I went to that game together, where it was unbelievable the number of mistakes. Louisville could have been up at one point twenty-eight to seven. They they're picked off Trevor Lawrence first, twice in the end zone. Flustered, I mean, flustered him. I mean, it, it was so frustrating. Is yeah. you yeah. know, you get Trevor Lawrence off balance and he's real flustered. And then it's like, okay, you got to take advantage of it, and it never happened. So, yeah, I, I agree, man. And, and it was a couple of, of runs by ETN that kind of broke open that game. But yeah. even the even the play at the end of the first half where Louisville could have had a yeah, pick was, in the end zone, I mean, Jesus. that's the Clemson effect, right? You, you just get a play where the Clemson receiver is just – he, he Devontae Parker, somebody else. Like, that's yeah. what happens. I mean, you what? got a 6'4 guy that's just, you know, has a 44-inch vertical, and like, yeah, what are you going to do about that? And even yeah. more than that, throughout the entire game, they really handled their passing attack really well. Clemson had that play, and they had the Amari Rogers play where uh, Rush East, you know, he, he slipped out of a tackle from Rush East and had a long play. Outside of that, Louisville kept everything in front of them, and they really just couldn't handle Travis Etienne. But, you know, I think the, the offense played okay. They, they missed opportunities, and then they got to a, and it got to a point where they got – discouraged and behind and when you're when you're at that point you're playing against a, a defending national champion that stuff starts to come into play and and I, but i think that they played them well i thought they played notre dame really well florida state is a game they should have won i mean and and you know then you had the other games that were just complete debacles miami and uk but I, I think outside of like those two games i thought they were in or at least showed promise in every every game they played and going into that season, there's not a, I, I wouldn't have expected that at all. Yeah, I think the big the big thing that's going to determine whether or not we have a real shot at Clemson, because everybody knows, you know, like even coming off of whether you won the championship or not, like getting to that level year in, year out, you know, they, they kind of start slow sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so we could catch them. But the big thing is going to be, one, uh, the how – far along is the defense going to be early on in the season. I think that's going to be a huge determining factor because we know the offense is going to be explosive. They know, like, the guys on offense know the offense is going to be explosive. They know what they're doing. So it's really just going to be, you know, to Jacob's point, how many points can we score? But how many, you know, how many good plays can the defense make to help us out and win those bigger games, not just the games we already should win? But the other thing I I want to go back to talking about Mikhail so much tonight is – I think he has the potential to have a tremendous season, but I'm terrified that he's not going to be that he's not going to have the longevity to to do an entire season with the the hits he he was taking last year on some of the runs. Yeah. You know, call it unlucky, call it what you want, but either way, he needs to show me first that he can sustain a season uh, like a, of just health uh, yeah. first and foremost, because the team's only going to go as far as Mikhail's going to go. Um, with him taking all the first string snaps, but yeah, I mean, like I can't have him injured yeah. for this offense to to be as efficient as possible. And, and that brings up a great point. And the question: This is in the terms of topics. This is probably at the bottom of the totem pole, totem pole here. But who's the backup quarterback next year? Is it Juwan Pass or is it Evan Conley? What do you do there? Because you can make the argument for both of them. I'm not sure Juwan Pass will be on the roster when the season starts. I don't care what anybody says. Yeah. Nobody wants to stay for a backup season if they don't have to. So, I make 
I make the argument Juwan Pass makes the best, the most sense as a backup, and and if he's willing to stay, you've got a guy who can step in and make make do if you have to. It's tough because we got such a small sample of Juwan under this new staff. Uh, I thought he ran the ball well, which is great, but that's not really what they need out of the quarterback position. So uh, he was still kind of erratic. You know, you get the you get the Juwan Pass, you get such a boomer bust when the ball leaves his hand, leaves his hand. I mean, he can drop. I mean, I've I've seen especially going back to open practices and just watching the quarterbacks, this kid can really just drop the ball in a bucket and then he can overthrow a guy by like 15 yards who's running wide open. And it's or just, throw the ball just straight into the dirt. Yeah, it's 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 really unbelievable. So I think that's the tough part. But, you know, you look at how Mikhail Cunningham improved. You look at how Evan Conley played as a true freshman. And you've got to give credit to the staff and say, hey, maybe they are doing a good job with these guys. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, Juwan graduated the other day. You know, there's a potential that he might have just been waiting for that to decide to transfer after he graduated cause, so he won't have to sit out. Um, I, I don't really know. Nobody really knows. But I think that, in my opinion, the backup spot, you got to go long term. And I think Evan Conley is a guy. I think he's shown enough. Um, but at the same time, it's kind of a good problem to have. You have a couple options. So that's a prop. That's a positive. But I mean, even with a small sample size, we saw with Juwan Pass, he's just too erratic. And I don't know if you really want that if you need a guy to come in and win games for you. And I also don't. I mean, just to counter Jacob's point, he might not leave because both him and Mikhail clearly saw the need for multiple quarterbacks last season. Because those guys literally had to rely on each other half mm-hmm. the se- Like in half the games, we had two to three guys playing quarterback. So, yeah. I mean, you know, the, I think if anybody understands that, hey, yes, McHale's the starting quarterback, but, you know, is he going to play every single snap as quarterback? Maybe not, because we clearly yeah. saw that. Like, it was amazing how Satterfield before the season was like, I want five quarterbacks in my room. <laughs> and everyone's like, well, that's kind of ridiculous. Like, all right, a little Who would want to be opinion. the quarterback of the wheel there? Like, right, I'll be like, this guy. Sure. Like, what do you want? And then, I mean, first what? First quarter, first half of the the Notre Dame the Notre Dame game. I mean, like, boom, you get an injury. Mikhail, awesome for a couple games. Boom, injury, and then you're already on your your freshman Evan Conley. Mm-hmm. And so Louisville fans are like, holy crap! All right, this yeah. guy kind of might be right. And Satterfield's over here after the game. He's like, I mean, I told you guys we need five. <laughs> like, that was, like that I wasn't was, making that number up for a reason. This kind of all subject a little bit, but I, that was why I got so frustrated with people when when Chubba Purdy decided to flip. People were like, oh, we're fine. We got T. Webb, and I'm like, do you guys not understand depth? Like we've like the coaches have been saying this stuff since they got here, like depth, 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 and they wanted two quarterbacks to get to the the number that they wanted. And we literally just ended the season where we saw the quarterbacks how valuable they are, and people were like, oh, they'll be fine without them. I'm like, the numbers matter. Like you got to get yeah. that. And I, I honestly do think I know they're only they're looking at one quarterback, but they're still offering guys. I think they might still try to take two quarterbacks in this next class. I would like to personally see a transfer thrown in at some point because you 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 try to make two two kids coming out of high school who who think that they can go and be a starter somewhere, and you tell them you guys are going to come in at the exact same time, you're going to go through the exact same thing, <laughs> yeah. and when we're not sure who's going to be the red shirt, who's going to be you know the one that might play, but 
Like, we're going to have to figure this out. Like, I would not want to be a part of that. I want to go yeah. find a school where I can be the guy. I can be the freshman in the class. At some point, I'd like to see Louisville throw a transfer in the mix there because that's where you can find a guy who could potentially be a backup. Yeah. And not the, the backup quarterback. Like, if we're having a backup quarterback conversation in May, it's going to be a long summer for content <laughs> because, <laughs> it's like, I know eventually we're going to run out of things to talk about. But I, I just think that's one of those things where I'm, I'm, I've been interested to see why they've not – taken any transfers like I, that's the one thing i'm kind of still unsure about they've taken a couple of graduate transfers but i personally at quarterback i think that's how you kind of throw some some roster mix up in there let me ask you this we'll we'll end the show on this here i, I wrote a piece a couple of weeks ago about the nfl draft after mckay beckton got drafted uh, i'm going to ask you a two two-part question here the first one is going to be overall the, the second one will be specific to a, a position group and alex i'd like your opinion on this as well when you look at the 2021 NFL draft, who is the first Louisville Cardinal off the board? Because I think there's as many as five or six guys who could be drafted next year, maybe even more depending on where sophomores to juniors go in development. Who's the first guy off the board next year? Ooh, that's tough. That's a good um, one. Uh, okay, I think I might have my guy. Um, I'll, I'll, here, here, I'll go I'll go a little off the beaten path. The guy that I think is going to – he's also the guy that I think is going to completely shock people this year, Caleb Chandler. Dude, see, this is why I wanted to go first. Like That's, <laughs> that's funny because that's we the second, even talked the second layer of that question. You just answered it. So we've, we've essentially wrapped it up there. Yeah, no, I think I think that, you know, you have the Dwayne Ledford factor, but you also – I think he's been insanely overshadowed because he played right next to Makai Becton. But if you watch Makai Becton's highlights – and you kind of look around, you're going to see a lot of Caleb Chandler burying people, pushing people out of the screen, just like Makai Becton did. Uh, he's got the athleticism that Makai Becton kind of showed. I don't think he's necessarily a, you know going to run the 40 like Makai did. But that was a part of his game that I think that helped him get on the field a couple years ago. And he, kinda, he came in as a replacement late in the season, I think, what, two seasons ago. But he was so green. Like, he was missing blocks left and right. He couldn't control himself when he was out in space. I think Leffert's really improved on that, and I think that's going to get better. And I think he's a guy that's going to – guards don't go so high, but I really do think he's going to be one of the top three guards in the whole draft. And I think he ended up going maybe in the middle of the second round, which I think might be around where we start seeing Louisville players going. Yeah, Alex, what do you – if Caleb Channing was your answer, who's your next guy then? <laughs> No Which I don't, I don't necessarily believe that was his answer. I'm not no, gonna I lie. swear to you. I, I literally tried to be like, yeah, that was my answer. No, no, no. Okay, so I had the 2020 Louisville football roster up on my computer right in front of me with the offensive line, and I literally had Caleb Chandler highlighted because we had talked about him just like last week. Um, but between that, I think the next one was going to be, uh, for me, Tutu Atwell, if he can continue the sustained success and you know a little bit of weight gain. Uh, from the simple fact that we're seeing Hollywood Brown, I think has tremendously helped him out. You're seeing all these smaller guys really, uh, you know, succeed in the NFL uh, the last couple of seasons in Excel. But also, um, you know, I think Jacob made a really good point um, to me last week about uh, Rondell Moore. Depending on you know his success and where he goes in the draft, like I really do think like that's a great point. Is that his success is kind of you know, Tutu's really watching that closely because if Rondale Moore gets drafted really high, I think that's that's a great sign for Tutu because if yeah. people think Rondale's like, you know, taller and bigger, he, there's their measurables are really really similar. Uh, yeah. 
I mean, well, Tutu's a little bit slimmer, obviously, uh, but and he's more of a straight line, you know, speedster. But uh, but I definitely think he's got a shot. Uh, another thing go, going go well for Tutu is that you see these like Satterfield's offense has some NFL um, like counterparts that are kind of similar, you know, whether it be the Rams and some of the other some of the other offenses. So you're seeing a guy who in that wide zone is it's all play action. It's all based off of doing something off of something else. And it's the whole point of the receivers or the, what, what you're looking for in receivers is to get them in one-on-one matchups. And you talk about Hollywood Brown is probably the best comparison, in my opinion, because he is pure speed. Like, get behind the defense. You can't cover me one-on-one. And if you can run the ball on your offense, which the Ravens do really well, which we, we all saw last year, you can create opportunities with great matchups with him. And I think that's where Tutu's value is because that's what they're doing right now. I mean, it's all about getting him in a favorable matchup, which is literally just one guy. It doesn't have to be, oh, we got to get him with against a safety or against a linebacker. Tutu will run, run away from anyone. So I think that's where his value is in the NFL. And I think these offenses are showing that that's, that's the new kind of thing is this wide zone scheme that luckily as Louisville fans, we get to see that. And I think we saw what it can do last year. And I think we're going to see even more this year. Yeah, and we've got we've got quite a bit of time. It feels like it should be August, July at this point, but we've still yeah. got months ahead to talk about the same things we've been talking about for three months. <laughs> and I think that the twenty twenty frame that team, up positively. Well, the twenty twenty <laughs> football team could be the most over dissected thing ever for Louisville sports because we're going to have twelve months. It seems like to to get ready for that. Keith, I appreciate you joining. I know you've got a couple of articles coming up in the in the next few days, including your your wish list for the defense. So make sure you check that out on Card Chronicle. You can follow him on Twitter. Uh, I don't have the Twitter handle pulled up, so I will let you plug that, Keith. It's uh, what is it, Keith underscore Win? I think is that it. Yeah, that's there. You go. I don't know if there's you no. Know, that's one of those things. I've I've never been able to remember my own Twitter handle, and I always feel so weird telling people what it is because <laughs> nobody's gonna go follow it. Anyways. I hope, but <laughs> I hope it was accurate. And then he just like really, really like played that off as like a humble. Like I'm not yeah. sure what my Twitter account <laughs> is. I think that when you get to when you get to my profile, uh, the the, the, yeah. the pin tweet has twenty five thousand retweets. So should get, be under get ready deputy, for that as well. Should be under deputy editor, I think. Yeah, just right there. Under so, no. Yeah, so we'll, we'll have Keith on plenty more as we get ready for football. But we thank you guys for, for tuning in.